On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about AV security. We're going to continue the conversation and get into the nuts and bolts of how it impacts programmers and what things, what tactics need to be taken in order to ensure your systems are more secure. All that and more on A State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A state of control. A state of control, episode 80. Check engine. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Sound extraordinary. Welcome to A State of Control, an AV Nation podcast that highlights the control, programming, and automation aspects of the AV industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. On today's show, we're going to be continuing the discussion from our last show. We're going to be talking about security of AV systems and specifically the impact that it has on AV programmers and designers and, and those who are in our audience and, and do, who do what we do. Um, if you haven't listened to our previous episode, I uh, highly recommend it. It was packed full of information. That's episode 79. Uh, go back and check that out and then rejoin us on this one. But uh, we have our same guest returning on today's show to continue the conversation. And before I introduce them again, I want to say hi to my partner here at Estate of Control. He's none other than Rich Fergoza. How are you, Rich? I'm doing good. Mellow West Coast greetings. I'm uh, interested for part two. I was just saying a, a minute earlier, we, we ended with a uh, with some rising thoughts. I'm, this one's like, pull the thread, you know, keep pulling, pulling, pulling. So uh, I'm actually pretty stoked for this show. There's the so a lot of food for thought that, uh, especially this topic, I think is really important, uh, especially right now for our industry. Absolutely. I think, and we'll get into it a bit, but but it, I think it reiterates the importance that programmers and, and people in our role have, and, and it's, you know, we've been downplayed for some time. So I think this is a, a good way of uh, revitalizing that. So um, I will move forward in uh, welcoming back. Uh, first off, Brian McGrogan from Verex. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you very much for having me again, Steve. I can't wait to continue this conversation. It's really a, it's really a good one. We, we're glad to continue it. And last but not least, uh, James King from Stockton University. Welcome back, James. Thank you, Steve, uh, for having me back. And like Brian, I look forward to continuing this uh, conversation that I'm sure we could fill hundreds of shows with. <laughs> and then it's all good content and good education. So that that's always what we stand for here. Uh, so as I said at the top, we, we uh, talked a lot about the, the, the what and the, and the, the why of AV security in our last show. And, and, uh, and I think that that kind of sets the stage today for the how. Um, how, how does this impact what we do? How does, how does this change the way systems are done? And, and what's the responsibilities that, that are new to uh, designing and implementing AV systems? So Rich, um, 
why don't you start the ball rolling for us and, and kind of give a little bit of your thoughts about what, what does this mean to a programmer and, and um, what, what is it that uh, is going to have to happen and in terms of either learning or responsibility or, or just changing the, the, the way we approach uh, AV systems? Um, we're quickly reaching critical mass. I mean, more, just right before we started recording, uh, you know, we had a little side conversation and it did kind of dawn on me that this is not optional. This is no longer, this is gonna be a good idea. Uh, and the reason being is that large manufacturers in the tech industry, not even just our manufacturers, but large manufacturers in the tech industry are, for lack of a better word, forcing um, you know, enhanced security. And the reason why is exposure on their side. Because again, when you've got hundreds of millions of users, um, you've got greater liability. So you have to institute more secure rules. Um, because our manufacturers deal with these systems in a greater tech sense, uh, they have no choice, which now in the control system programming community, you have a lot of different experience levels. And so there were the cowboy groups that were like, well, we just kind of do it. You know, I, I viewed it as a suggestion, right? <laughs> you know, it was a nice idea. Uh, you know, it was the, uh, you know, it was the check engine light, right? We, we, as an industry, we've treated security as the check engine light, right? Um, the transmission's just about to fall out now. And, ye, and we as an industry, as control system programmers in the AV side and everything that we do, um, have to do it. it it's no longer a choice. Uh, it's no longer optional. And it is a skill set that has to be developed. It, much like, you know, we're used to programming a device to, to perform a function. Security now is just as integral to that process. Even though it's supposed to be turning a display on, switching from mic A to mic B, you know, panning and tilting a camera. Because all of this information can get outside of that physical site, it is now a requirement for us to be aware of how that information can get out and prevent unauthorized release of that information. And that's what it all comes back to, right? We're not talking about currency. And, and that's what this is. This is informational currency. And if we're involved in these systems, part of our responsibility is to help protect that uh, informational currency because we could be liable for it if we don't. Uh, and so it's a big step up. And, and uh, you know, I think this is an instance where newer blood, uh, newer programmers, um, it's an opportunity for this to be part of their process because they don't know what they don't know yet. Uh, I think for existing companies, it's a slow moving ship um, because you've done it for so long and you get that pushback of, well, we've always done it before. Why do I have to X, Y, Z? And the big reason for it is if you don't, the industry will pass you up and you will stop getting jobs because there will be companies who can do it. And, and, and really that's the big reason behind it is if you're working for a integrator, if you're working for a third-party programmer, if you're an independent, if you're not keeping these specific skills, if you're not building them or at least showing a willingness to build them, there will be companies who are gonna come in and say, we already do it. And 
like anything else, they'll probably be able to do it cheaper, faster, more reliably, and you price yourself out of the market. So I, I look at it from a business standpoint, you know, what can I do or what have I not been doing that's going to potentially price me out of my market? James, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of pass it over to you. Uh, Rich gave us a lot to work with there, and, and you, you, you have an uh, interesting perspective that you can share because you can share the programmer side because that's the role that you play, but you could also share it from the client side because you work for an end user organization. Um, when you are looking to, to um, work with a, a, an outside firm or, when, or even you know, looking to, to uh, work with people on your staff or, or even in, in the requirements for you and in, in doing your position, it, how important is it going to be that there is a, not only a, a comprehension, but a dedication to security for, uh, for you know, it, it, when it comes to, to your, your, your organization. Yeah. Rich definitely gave a lot. I like the check engine uh, light metaphor. And what's really the take on that is, yes, the security is now becoming a mandatory, but it's almost like that Windows update mandatory. Used in the past, Windows, you could ignore it, you know, don't update, don't update, don't update. Well, now Windows forces you because people were not doing updates. Security is now forcing you because people are not doing security. Um, so making sure that I'm doing everything I can to protect our student data is important. Um, just a quick search online, they give you some numbers. Uh, According to this one site here, mobile account information is going about $14 on a black market. Uh, bank accounts, two to $300 on a black market. And that's just for one person's information. Think about all the information going across our systems. Uh, users coming in, users leaving. We have a high turnover. I mean, I mentioned this on a, another show where in education, you're guaranteed new clients or customers every year. I mean, we have new students coming in every year to our universities across the nation, actually the world. That's a lot of data. And we got to make sure we're protecting it. Um, so things like I do is make sure all our equipment's on a private VLAN and uh, you can't access it from the public uh, network we have here. You have to have be on an ITS uh, network to actually even access the data. Uh, I think that that's a that's a great point, and and you know it, it obviously it, it it shows really how impactful th this could be. Um, Brian, I I know you, you have a lot to to kind of share, and and uh, and some of the things that Rich mentioned, I think uh, probably struck a chord with you as well. Um, uh, from from your standpoint and and in the the role that that you are are um, are filling and and the you know working with different clients and having to adapt to to different policies, um, what 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 impact does it have on on um, on how you've you prepared yourself to be able to to serve uh, and and be responsible for AV security. So in, in lots of ways, I want to touch on one thing that Rich talked about, too, because I think it's a big misconception, right, is, is Rich talked um, about 
just the information that our system is providing, right? But that's not just the case, right? Our system can provide a gateway into other things, right? So some people just say like, well, I don't necessarily care that the person knows I went into video conference mode, but our system can allow you out to other things. So I think that's really important for people to understand as well. Um, Absolutely. But, but going back to what you were saying, Steve, the part of the things that I do to prepare and part of the things that I think as a programming community that we can provide is keeping up with the current security standards, right? And it, it is, you have to keep up. They change all the time. And then starting those conversations with the client, right? I have like a, like a two-page cheat sheet um, that I work from right away. And I ask a whole bunch of questions um, and I provide that out when, when asked um, with our clients to start that conversation and understand where their security mindset is. So are they somebody that I'm going to work with where they want everything locked down, everything get changed from non-standards uh, or from standard ports to non-standard ports? Are they somebody who is, you know, not security conscious? And so we want to do, you know, the pieces that we feel are necessary to, to ensure that we're in a good state and that, you know, hypothetically we couldn't be liable or, you know, it, it limits our liability. Um, so, and I feel like that's always one of the biggest hurdles is getting that conversation going and getting to the right person, right? Our industry is adapting. Um, you know, we're getting folded more and more under the IT umbrella. That's been going on for a long time. That's nothing new. Um, but we, until pretty recently, we necessarily haven't been flagged um, as a security risk or, or, or just as a security concern, right? It's kind of like this black box is on here. You know, it doesn't really do much. It just controls the TV. But, you know, thinking about it from, from an endpoint standpoint, you know, more and more concerns. So making sure we're getting to the right people, making sure that we are providing them with the right level of information um, and being ready to have those deeper conversations. And if you don't understand it, knowing who to pull in, right, that's key. Right. Manufacturers are there. They understand it. Um, I think I think James said it, you know, they they understand the pieces that they are responsible for. And so they have people that are dedicated to it. So they're a resource to pull in um, to have those conversations as well. So, Rich, I'll, I'll uh, kind of bounce back to you, because I think one of the things you talked about is the impact that it has on businesses, you know, and I think it, you know, the, the competitive nature of it, but, but also the liability, you know, s speak a little bit about how, how, how we have to protect ourselves, <laughs> because yeah, honestly, if, you know, the, the, if a vulnerability gets tracked back to something that a programmer does, and you're you own the company, <laughs> your name's on the on the door, and uh, and there there may be some some calls that you don't want to be getting. Uh, so, step one, uh, I uh, you and I have both learned the oh so fun uh, E and O errors and omissions clause in your insurance. Uh, you know, it's like everything else. Um, We've, we've transitioned so much in, in the past 20, 25 years that, you know, my biggest concern from a liability standpoint, seriously, was, you know, if a screen was going to drop down when a cabinet door was open, right? I'd, I'd be responsible for a $5,000 motorized screen because I didn't have something in place that said, hey, this is open or a, a motorized lift dropping down on somebody's fingers. I mean, those were the physical dangers, 
that we had to be aware of. And, and so it was, yeah, it was easier, <laughs> you know, because we were dealing with it. But the world was different at that point. Um, you know, step one, um, yeah, you know, the, stuff like cybersecurity and liability and all of those things as a business owner, just don't hire a professional. You know, that that's that's my first advice, right? It's like, you know, yeah, you've got a, a, a room full of smart people. Yes, people could probably learn all of the vagaries of, of insurance law that's required in exposure. Just don't. Um, you know, step one, you know, find find somebody local. You can you can find it through Avixa. You can find it through CDA. You can find it through all of the other resources that are available. Which is okay. Let's limit your financial liability. You know, things are going to happen again. <laughs> you've got the government that got hacked. So, so, you know, to say that, it, you know, we are going to be foolproof um, in, in what we do. So, I mean, Brian and James are right, which was, you know, it, the minute we touch something, we have the ability to be a gateway for something else. So once you reflect upon the fact that the minute that you get on any kind of network, which is why when you're dealing with banks, when you're dealing with the government, when you're dealing with medical, there are fail safes. Right there, there are air, air, air breaks, air gaps um, that should be in place for part one. Part two is if <laughs> the people that you're working with are a little willy nilly about their security, you got to focus on being the, the voice of reason. And that comes back to just process. And, and it's not that difficult, but it is working with, you know, so let's say your insurance company or when you're drafting your um, scope of work agreement, that your verbiage just says, look, we will do everything possible to prevent any kind of unauthorized entry here, the steps that we normally take and here, you know, and, and, and you go from there. I mean, you, you, you could spend your entire business life trying to figure out ways that something can go wrong and you'd get, not get anything done. So you have to balance it against the, the fact that you are going to get things done. And, and what do we always say about this industry, right? It's not if, it's when um, it's going to break. And when it's going to break, the most important thing is what's your plan? So go from there. Now, can you plan for every single thing that's going to break? No, you can't. But at least if you're in the process and you're thinking about it and you're moving forward, uh, you know, from a relationship standpoint, right? That, where does it always come back to? Um, how are you communicating? Are you uh, being reactive versus proactive? So, I mean, I'm kind of generalizing this in terms of, you know, where we started with it, but it really is the case. It's, it's, setting aside that you have to know everything about everything and being willing to collaborate and make use of your resources first. And that's rule number one for this industry to begin with, right? And, and as we're getting older and, and, and it, as I get older, I get more and more removed from how the sausage is made in what we do. Uh, but I have the perspective and the experience of all the ways that it went wrong. So, I'm learning how to bridge those two where I don't necessarily worry about how things are getting done on the granular level, but I'm collaborating with someone who can explain it to me if necessary. And I think that's what, again, whether you're working for a company, and like if you're working for a company, you're a programmer and, and you might not be responsible for the business side of the decisions, it still should be upon you to say, hey, what's our plan? Because um, I'm out there. <laughs> and I just watched the show and they brought up something and do we have a plan? And if nothing else, it builds the communication needed between who's in the field and who's back in the office so that if and when something goes wrong as an organization, you've at least run through the most basic scenarios.
I think you bring up a good point too, because even if you're talking about being insured, one of the first things that they're going to ask you are what are your procedures? Because otherwise they're not going to be able to insure you if you're not looking to follow best practices. Um, James, one of the things that comes up a lot lately is you know, looking at devices too. So we have, you know, following good practices about writing code and, and, and network security, but, but we also have the, the devices and the, and manufacturers are making strides to make their devices more secure or make it so that there's uh, security measures in place. Um, when you're looking at evaluating equipment, how much does that play into the decision? And, um, and also uh, the second part of the question, and I probably shouldn't ask two part questions, but, but how do you, how, how do you figure in that, you know, that time that it might take to deal with a more secure device, because it's not necessarily, uh, the, the, as we've said before, the, the more secure it is, the, the possibly the more effort it takes to work with it. Uh, so I'm going to actually tackle that second part first with a simple statement of security in its nature is difficult. That's what security is. So you have to face that you're going to have difficult one, no matter what equipment you're using. Uh, go with the first part, how you evaluate devices is almost going like what Richard was talking about is having a relationship. We are, nobody's going to know everything. And I know there's that whole argument, don't be the smartest one in the room. I, I change that a little bit is don't be the only smartest one in the room on everything. Because for example, if we're sitting there having a meeting about upgrading a classroom, I'm the in-house programmer. I'm going to be the smartest one about AV programming in the room. But our network engineer is going to be there. He's going to be the smartest one about networking. Our security admin is going to be in there. He's going to be the smartest one about security. It's all about building that relationship. Uh, manufacturers are doing a really good job of putting information in their documents of the security things. Read it. Look them over. If you have a question, talk to your security admin or reach out to someone who knows something about security. And in, in doubt, don't connect it. Um, I mean, right now, I'm a big component for not putting smart TVs on any network because I personally don't feel they're secure enough. Um, now, there's other ways around that. There's things being done, but I'm not even going to take that risk. So any TVs we're using, I don't put on a network unless there is a requirement that we can't find a workaround for think that that that's a really good point and probably something that 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 not everybody thinks about uh, a lot of times in, in a design if you see an ethernet port you automatically plug it in yep <laughs> so, um, i've actually wanted to add something there too right we've had some scenarios uh kind of like james was talking about with a smart tv where we fall back actually to older you know, I'm going to go with 232 with this device because I can't trust the security of it, right? I can't trust that. So I know when I'm 232 direct to a device, I have communication from my processor to that device, and that is it, right? So, so there are definitely scenarios, right, where we might have to fall back on our, our old skills, too, and, and understanding when that's the case. You know, to give your, your smart TV example, James, 
I, I do have TVs that I can't control um, 232 anymore. There's no adapters. There's no anything. And I isolate those. You know, they have no internet access, you know, only access to the control system. And that's it. Um, they can't get outbound at all. And in, in some scenarios, it's even as much as me, you know, going and manually setting it up and not giving it a gateway, even though that, that VLAN has no internet access. Um, so lots of different things there. Oh, yeah, definitely. You can definitely have a lot of different things. Uh, not having like the network side where your network admin comes in and, you know, sets your ACLs and your VLANs and your firewalls. I mean, that's really what you guys sit down and look at if you're connecting a device to the network is what ports do I need to open on the firewall? And for example, just don't go to your network admin and go, you know, I need port 8080 open. I need port 44.3 and port 23. Because they're going to come back and go, why? Know the reason why you need those ports open. Um, because if you don't need it open, it's being shut down. Absolutely. I, I, I think this is real gold. You know, kind of, Brian, going along those lines is that, what, what other tips could can we provide to others that are just starting to to uh, to 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 delve into the you know these security items because you know so for example um, one of the things that that um, my company tends to do is work with manufacturers and and do modules and drivers and and uh, and it you know we're seeing a lot more where the the requirements are are can be challenging. It's not uh, talking to a device is, uh, through RS-232 is very different than talking to it over IP. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this kind of actually goes back a little bit to, you know, the, the question about making sure you have enough time with a new piece of equipment or, or even with new firmware for an equipment, right? So I think one of the tips there, right, is to make sure you're paying attention to what the manufacturer is doing, right? Make sure when a new firmware comes out, you're reading the release notes. When a new module, you know, a, a new great version of a module gets released, make sure you're prepping yourself for that. Um, I find for myself, one of the things that is the most helpful is getting my hands physically on the equipment, right? Whether it be somebody in my office throws it, um, you know, in our testing VLAN, you know, it hooks it up directly to one of our processors. I find that experience to be invaluable. You know, I, I'm a hands-on guy and that's really what I, the way that I work the best. I can read a protocol document and I can, um, you know, write to it, but then in the end, I am never comfortable just saying, okay, here, it's written to the protocol. You know, it, it's written to what they tell me. I, I want to actually physically test it and make sure it works before I let it out in the wild anywhere because something's always a little bit different but those are <laughs> those are some of the biggest items is you know making sure we have a plan for that the other piece too to go back there a little bit is making sure the other people as part of that conversation understand that right there are other links in that chain that have to happen and you know it might be a fast track project in QA that usually might have three days to work on this has 12 hours. And so making sure we throw out those flags early to say, hey, this is never going to make it through in 12 hours unless I get X, Y, Z. Um, so those that makes everybody happier. Um, I might have to do a little bit more work and I might have to condense my time frame a bit, but you know, it makes people happier in the end too. I, I think having a sandbox, what Brian was talking about is ideal. I mean, I just got done evaluating new firmware for equipment 
I actually addressed the end of life of uh, Flash in some of our equipment. Now I read the whole document and everything's like, oh, this should be fine. But I wasn't going to roll that out to 200 devices without first testing it. So I threw it into a sandbox and ran it. I ran everything I could at it to make sure it wouldn't break. And then I rolled it out slowly. So I'm in a couple of rooms that are running it, making sure there's no issues before I roll it out to 200 classrooms. And, and you mentioned James too, right? Is documentation there is key. And I try to go through that documentation and not necessarily, I don't wanna say automate, but I try to script as much of it as I physically can so that I know when I apply to system A, I'm going to apply the exact same thing to system B. And then here's my, let's double check and make sure the script ran properly. These are the pieces to check so that you don't end up with the system set up this way, the system set up another way. And you know, like, oh, I forgot this step. And that actually goes to one of the things I actually wrote about this in one of my uh, articles was uh, do a security audit. I mean, I try to do at least once a year, if not more frequently, and just hit all our devices. Is the password set correctly? Is the port set correctly? Is controlling the way you're setting it to post to control, is that correctly? Because as we go back, like C was talking about earlier, is security is always changing. Security is never once and done. You don't ever just put it in and walk away from it. You always have to be active on it and do an audit to make sure your devices are up to standard is key. James, do you have any resources that you could point people to that would um, give them maybe like a sample of what an audit could be, or and maybe we could put it in the show notes. But uh, but I, I think some of these things. You know, you you have the the advantage, I, I think, because you come from more of the IT side. I think a lot of AV programmers come from purely from the AV side, so a lot of this could be very new. I think that that could be very helpful. Um, unfortunately, I don't have one. I kind of work on um, one I built for myself. I went through all my settings I do and then documented it, which only fits my unique situation. It's not a blanket one. Um, I'm sure there's some IT ones out there that can easily apply, but that would be a better question for like Frank, who is more into those things than I am. I just sure. know of audit. And what I did was I built one that fits our university's need. Perfect. I think that's a good answer too, but I think maybe if we Google uh, a security audit or, and, but, and uh, James is, is referring to Frank Patakawa and he's the, the host of the IT Factor podcast on AV Nation. So a little plug there, but check that out to, uh, to learn more. And, and I'm sure he'd be glad to answer those questions. Rich, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up with you. And I, I, I just want to get your take on this. You know, it's kind of the, you know, one of the old school guys as I am. Um, do we see, uh, do, is, do, although we know we have to embrace security, do we see uh, the AV industry getting immersed in, in, and building their skills and knowledge? Or do we see us uh, kind of taking a step back and let, letting other people do it and, and, uh, and working around with, you know, may, maybe going back to closed uh, systems? Um, what, what's, what's your take there? You know, it's 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 interesting. It, it's it's funny is that you know you and I run two very different organizations. I'm much smaller and kind of, uh, you know, it, it, there's benefits to being small and there's problems to being small. 
There's benefits to being big and there's problems to being big. Whether you're working for an integrator or a programming company or whether you're on the other side and you're running the business, I mean, you kind of run your head through your hands because the first thing that you think about, I know that you think about that I do, I'm like, who's going to pay for this, right? <laughs> who's going to pay for this? 100%. And, and so, you know, it, it's it's that very interesting line. Like we, we get the opportunity here to, to deal with kind of the intellectual and, and the high level operation parts, right? Here's why we should be doing it. Here's why it's important. Here are the challenges around us. And then these shows end and somebody watches this show and they go back and they got 15 voicemails or emails or something going on. And they're seeing that the project is now three days behind schedule or the client is saying that this proposal costs too much because they've got too much time built into this. So then you're tempering the real world side of it, which is, why is it important? Yeah. And so if you're not actively performing that part of enhancing your security procedures and protocols, but you got to optimize them too. And then you got to educate the people you're selling it to because Brian and James just made a perfect example, right? Let's say, you know, and, 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 you know, again, my, my focus is Resi, but we still do a ton of commercial. So, you know, Resi, I've got a little bit more leeway to say, no, this is the way that it is, period. Um, there, there's a luxury <laughs> in that, um, you know, the, the, the decisions start and end with me, the blame starts and ends with me. Um, but when you are dealing with a, a, a university or dealing in education or K-12 or corporate or, you know, banking, whatever it happens to be, um, you're part of a team. And that team is going to be very specific about where their turf is. Now, if you're playing on their turf, you're still expending time and effort. So you then really have to focus on education, right? And we had a show, how to talk to tech managers, how to talk to the C-level, you know, how to deal with the IT security. So now it comes back full circle, right? It, it is, this is going to cost you money. Make no mistake. Security's hard. Security takes time to establish it and then to maintain it. It is an ongoing process and it ain't free. So you need to be able to start that process of saying, we could use X. And again, this goes back to consultants even, right? Okay, you spec X. Fantastic. Here are the four reasons why, if you choose X, why costs are going to increase. Because dot, dot, dot. Now, and this goes back to, you know, the check engine light and covering yourself. We know for a fact that these devices are insecure because dot, dot, dot. It then requires our company and or other companies to perform these additional tasks, to perform the same thing that we were able to do 15 years ago with a $3 IR emitter. And that's the reality, right? You know, it, it, it is, we're having to invest three hours of time for a three second process from 10 years ago. But what they don't want to hear is that they have to pay more for it. So that's the, the, the big part, the big takeaway that I always get from these. And, you know, why do you cut corners? Because you don't think you can afford not to. And that's where you get in trouble. Um, and that takes some resolve. It really does. It takes some brass to go, this is cheaper. This is easier. We probably won't get caught. And then you have to finish it with, but. 
And, and so that's my takeaway. Again, like I said, I, I love hearing from these guys because up until this conversation just happened, it didn't crystallize for me. It's like that first question as an owner, I'm like, who the bleep is gonna pay for this? and 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 so uh that's the big part it's like hey you want to make money do it right um it ain't easy but you want to make money you want to make sure your company's still around you want to make sure that your boss is able to give you a paycheck in two weeks do it right and campaign for doing it right and advocate for doing it right and not only inside but we've always talked about this we have this identity crisis right that if we pipe up and we establish our expertise yeah, we're going to get, you know, we're going to be put on outside of the cool kid group and you got to step away from that. You, you got to be, you're an expert, act like an expert. Just to add that real quick, uh, Rich, good point. Who's going to pay for it? Well, think about this way. Who's going to pay for when there's an issue? Just like your check engine light. Yeah. New transmission might cost two, three grand, but when your transmission blows, how much is a new car? That's what you got to look at. Yeah, who's paying for it, but what's going to cost you in the end if you don't do it right? And, and the other piece there, too, is the relationship, right, Rich? Right, you develop a good relationship with a client, and you develop a good relationship, working relationship with the, the people in there, it becomes easier, right? And that will bring you back more business, and that will bring you back, um, you know, recommendations, et cetera, which will, in the end, pay off. I think that's a fine way to wrap it up. And thank you. And Rich, you uh, stole the show. I think you had that final mic drop. And and uh, as usual, really uh, put put a signature on the episode. So these guys the, bring the brains. All I can bring is passion. Now, it's <laughs> you know, like it's exactly. I you know, it, it's exactly. I, I made sure that I'm in the room with everybody smarter than me. That's that's all I wanted to do. I think the important part to point out, which I really liked about what you said, is that we, we're still accomplishing the same outcome. We're still controlling devices. It's just taking a lot more work because we have to be a lot more responsible. And, uh, and, and, I, and, and it is an important thing to consider. And I hope that those listening to this can pass this episode along because it shouldn't be taken lightly because the there's been a big push to making it simpler and faster and easier. And, and that comes at a cost, unfortunately, uh, for, for some, but it's, it's doing it right the first time. So, uh, with that, you know, that ends the, our uh, marathon on security, which I, I think was very valuable. And I'm sure we'll be picking this up again in a future episode. I'd like to thank the, the two guests who have helped uh, move us forward with this. Uh, first off, Brian McGorgan from Verex. How can people get in touch with you, learn more about Verex, and uh, and hear what you're up to? Well, again, thank you very much for having me, Steve and Rich. This was a great conversation, and James, it was really a good conversation. Um, you can find me on the interwebs, as Uncle Richie would say, at, at B. McGrogan on most social medias. Uh, and you can find Verex at www.verex.com, uh, as well as at Verex on most social media. So thank you again for having me. Absolutely. And James King from Stockton University, how could people get in touch with you? And I know you're on uh, other podcasts and do writing and you're, you're uh, uh, a, an online man whereas we, where we originally got in touch. So uh, everybody, I recommend checking out what James is up to. How can people find out? Oh, thank you for all that, Steve. Yeah, I'm making the gamut of, around the interweb. Um, 
first off, again, this was a great conversation. Brian, Steve, Rich, this is great having this conversation and much needed conversation. Um, but you can find me on the best places. Twitter is my username is uh, at underscore or at AV underscore James King. Um, as Steve also mentioned, I write for Higher Ed AV uh, Digital Magazine. I write a IT and AV column. Um, that comes out once a month. So definitely swing over there and check that out as long as, as well as all the other great content there as well. Uh, but yeah, I make my way around the interweb. So that's the best place to find me. And I highly recommend uh, checking James out. Uh, and last but not least, Rich, how can people get in touch with you? And what, what are your, your parting words for the day? I mean, this is just cool. I, 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 I actually, I walk away kind of with a, a bounce in my step um, over this when, you know, again, this, this comes down to um, we're in business and, and this is not a hobby for us and times are changing. And if you want to stay in business and again, whether you're doing it for a year, you've been doing it for X number of years. I know that Steve and I, our challenges now have shifted and these are the things that we have to think about and it is just as important as the nuts and bolts of turning something on and off you got to think about all of these things because you know the the whole process is about being better at what you do and being more profitable about what you do and, and being more efficient and dot 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 uh it, you know this is an educational resource that our only goal is to help you get better and the way that we can help you get better is to help you make more money and the way we help you make more money is to make sure you stay on jobs and get more jobs. And the way you stay on more jobs is you don't screw up and get fired from them. So, uh, you know, and, and, and that's really, um, I, I hope people watching this understand the passion for, for what is trying to happen here, which is passing on what we call the tribal knowledge, right? You know, we've done it wrong. We've done it wrong so many times, man. Don't, don't be that company. Don't, don't be that company that everybody talks about, right? And uh, so hopefully tools like this give an opportunity for everybody in an organization to get something out of it. And, and you know, nobody likes talking about security, uh, but you have to. And so that's why these things are important. And, and especially right now, because we don't have the luxury of being in the same room with a group of, of other programmers and, and industry gatherings and everything else. So make the most of the tools that you have right now and, and the time that you have to, to learn from it. Um, with that said, uh, I'd much rather you be here and get that information from others. But if you feel the, the need to find out about what I'm doing, um, you can find me on the interwebs, as the boys have said, uh, at rfragosa on Twitter. Uh, Fragosadesign.com is the website. Uh, but first and foremost, as I always say, I would love for you to find us here on Navy Nation TV as in our new capacity. By the way, this is our first show uh, in our new capacity in partnership um, that we would love for you to follow us here and support our continuing sponsors and our new... Uh, I guess who would be uh, benefactors <laughs> at this point uh, here on State of Control, Resi Week, AV Week, all of the associated shows that we have. So come in and watch us. We really appreciate it. Rich has said it all today, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. And uh, I, I, I concur. And I think uh, what we do here is uh, is great and a lot of fun and, and hope benefits our audience. And we want to hear from you. Uh, please reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear more of. Um, please share one of our episodes. Any of these things would really mean the world to us. So uh, look forward to uh, be, being 
in touch with more people and then also getting more voices heard on, on our show. Uh, if you want to reach me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media or my company, Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net. I've been on a couple of, as Rich has as well, a couple of the other shows. Uh, so give a listen. Uh, one of the ones that I'll plug, I have a couple of uh, upcoming shows on the AV profession, which uh, satisfies my uh, my interest and passion for business. So it's uh, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, uh, check out avnation.tv to find out more about this and all the other shows and uh, thank the sponsors. With that, that's all we have for today on State of Control. 